Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for choosing to listen to this. I'm Mark Stephen. I suspect it's a realisation that's been a long time coming, but if you look at the agenda for COP26, it's pretty clear that we seem to have come to the conclusion that we can't survive without nature. That nature isn't something you go and visit or keep behind a fence. It's what keeps us and every other species alive. And that's what this QMS podcast will be exploring. Jim Simmons has the tenancy of Ruthven Farm near Tom and Towel. It's owned by the Crown Estates. Ruthven is a traditional upland livestock farm running mainly blackface sheep and mules. The farm has a history of environmental work since the family took the tenancy in 2006. The Simmons family won the Cairngorms Nature Farm Award in 2016 and then the RSPB Nature of Farming Award, Food and Farming category, in 2017. Jim joins me now. Morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning. Very good, thank you. Excellent. Good. Tell me a wee bit more about the farm. So our farm's 800-acre upland farm. That's split roughly into sort of 350 acres of rough hill, and the rest of it's either improved or permanent pasture. Our main core part of our business is breeding meal ewe lambs for sale each year to go on to low ground farms. We run about 500 blackie ewes to do this, buying in blackie ewe lamb replacements generally. All the male lambs on the farm are taken through to finish weight and they're killed at Dumbia and go to Sainsbury's for the taste of difference range. I saw on your Facebook page that you were at the sales quite recently. How did you get on? Yeah, it was very good. The meal ewe lambs were up a good bit this year. We had a good, strong average right the way throughout. And we're really pleased. But having said that, it all goes back out the other hand when you go to buy your replacement breeding stock. Yeah, God giveth and God taketh away, it's a fact. Tell me about Ruthenthal. I mean, what, what is it you're trying to achieve there? I'm very much a sheep farmer. We did have cattle here for a while, but chose to focus on, on the sheep. And to focus along the sheep whilst being aware and looking after the ecological part of the farm. We're very much productive livestock farmers, and that's where the focus is but also believe very strongly that this can run alongside biodiversity and you can look after the environment and, in fact, enhance it without affecting the productivity of the unit. And how do you go about doing that? What have you done since 2006? When we moved here, first of all, in 2006, the farm was very open and exposed. So we're sitting at the house here at 1,000 feet above sea level, climbing out to just about 2,000 feet above sea level. For breeding mills, that wasn't ideal. However, we needed to get the extra for the breeding stock to make, make the place viable and to make everything work. So the, one, one of the big issues was there was very little shelter on the farm. We had maybe three sort of good fields that had bits of old birch woodland in. And what we worked out very quickly, in fact, after the first lambing, was that the survival rates were much, much higher in these areas. So that set us really to look in how we could improve the survival rates and sort out the shelter on the farm. So in 2008, through uh, SRDP scheme, we started planting hedges and pieces of woodland around fields, all with the idea of creating 
shelter full of stock, but at the same time to create wildlife habitat and corridors on the place. As I say, it was very open. You had the feeling that the Pui field mouse, if you like, never stood a chance against the amount of buzzards and kestrels and things going around. So shelter could work for everything. And when you maybe looked at the farm, you could see most fields had a wet corner in them or a steep bit where you couldn't get to with your topper or a piece of sort of brashy ground, if you like, hard ground where the grass never really grew and it burnt off. So there was plenty of opportunity to set about improving the biodiversity and the productivity at the same time, hand in hand. So to sort of um, put it in a nutshell, we've planted four and a half kilometres of mixed hedgerows. A lot of them are predominantly hawthorn, but always within an eye of giving something else other than a bit of shelter. So whilst we've got the hawthorn with the hawberries on it, we also planted elderberries, which are just hanging thick at the moment, and the birds are just all over them. And also we planted a lot of hazel because we have one of the rare colonies of red squirrels in and about here, one of the last strongholds of them. So we've sort of kept an eye on that as well. And on top of that, we've planted now 15 acres of sort of mixed birch and hard woodlands as well to start replacing some of the dilapidated old ones that were on holding. Again, referring to your Facebook page, did I see some ponds in some of the photographs? Yes, yeah. We've put in quite a lot of ponds as well. Um, it was dual purpose, really. One of, one of the purposes was very much for wildlife and wildlife habitat and really interested in sort of wading birds, and that side of things. And the place is just alive in the spring. And you think, well, we'll just do a bit of enhancement of that. Again, not at the cost of the productivity of the unit. So the ponds went in. Also, one side of the farm was, we fenced off a lot of the riverbanks because there was quite a lot of erosion. So we put in a lot of riparian fences. And that was in turn cutting off the water supply for a lot of the grazing animals. So we put in one pond under the SRDP and it's pretty much really a reservoir. It sits right at the top of all the fields and we ran water troughs off that, a pipe out of the pond. So the pond really sits as a reservoir, although it's absolutely full of frogs and newts and everything else. And it's quite amazing how it's colonised. So the ponds, the ponds have been part of it as well. And it's just, as I say, it's, it's provided drinking, drinking water in some of the drier fields. It's also provided habitat. And it's just an interest. It's just nice. You can take nice photos there if you like. My wife's into photography. Or you can go and have a look and see what's there with guests. So it's good. Just the fact that it's a hill farm. I mean, you, you're obviously... <laughs> very much tuned into the environment. Does the fact that it's a hill farm actually help you in that? By that, I mean, supposing you wanted to intensively farm what you've got, you probably couldn't. No, to to an extent, there would be 200 acres of good arable ground on the farm. When I say arable, it's plowable. Yes, we're sitting a 1,000 feet above sea level. When we first moved in, we grew spring barley here because we had the cattle. For the straw and I mean most of your arable listeners will be throwing their hands up in horror but we could get a good two two and a quarter ton an acre of the barley so so it is you know decent enough ground that is here but 
because of our altitude, we're late. So I agree with you. A lot of it is, I would say, a lot of it's upland ground rather than hill ground. So there's quite a lot of good soil within that ground. But it's there is also always an area that you can say, well, I can improve that for the environment and for nature and I can pull the two hand in hand. Do you see what you do as being massively different from what you might describe as normal farming? I would say for the part of the world I'm in, probably not. On the Glenlivet estate here, I would think there's more farmers have carried out some environmental work and been in environmental schemes than there is that wouldn't have done. So the area definitely lends itself to that. There's no question of that. But I mean, if you go back in time, originally, I was born and brought up in East Anglia on a large arable farm and moved to Scotland now 25 years ago. And looking back to even there, which was the breadbasket of East Anglia, there were still areas that you could plant and enhance and carry out wildlife improvement. And the farm I was brought up on, that was certainly the case as well. In 2015, you enrolled in the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme. What was your experience of it? The Agri-Environment Scheme was useful. It, it paid us really for doing quite a lot of what we already were, but it did make us um, think, think about how we we're doing and enhance it further. A real interesting thing that came of it was to get enough points to get it through the scheme. The agent that it was drawn up with said that we needed to put some wader scrapes in. Now, as a farmer with my feet on the ground, I couldn't see anything more pointless where we were putting them because it was wet, boggy ground already. And I thought, well, if it's already wet, boggy ground, what the hell's the point in putting in wader scrapes? However, the digger came in and put in the wader scrapes. The next morning, there was curlews around it, puddling around in the mud. And the amount of life that you see around these wader scrapes, especially through the wader breeding season, is quite astonishing. And it has enhanced it and it has pulled them to areas where maybe the cover would have been too thick. So we were now cutting paths through the rushes as well. And a lot of the birds that may be laid on slightly higher, drier, but more exposed ground where they were more exposed to predators could now feed but had cover to run back with with predators from the air, basically, is what, what I'm saying. So it, it was good. It wasn't over-prescriptive to us. There's some schemes that I've come to over the years with, oh, well, you're not allowed to cut until this date, or you're not allowed to sow it till that date, that have seemed to be over-prescriptive to me and haven't taken in the air, consideration of the area you're farming in. So they've seemed a bit pointless. but Certainly with the agri-climate scheme, it was, I, I would say, fairly well thought out. My agent's very good, very able to walk on the ground with me and draw up something that works, something that's going to deliver outcomes, plus something that's achievable to do for ourselves without being too prescriptive. The grants that you get for, I mean, as you say yourself, the grants that you get for doing stuff that you were already wanting to do anyway, do you see that as an income stream? Yes, absolutely. Um, so if you go right back to when we came into this farm 15, 15 odd years ago now, 2006, it was at that time single farm payment, like national reserve for new entrants. We were new entrants into agriculture, so we didn't have anything already to bring in the income stream off the 
um, basic payment scheme back then. So we had to look at other ways of getting some support. We couldn't afford to go and buy because we were stocking the farm, we were buying machinery and everything else. So it was very much back then when we entered SRDPs, it was an income stream and it was vital to us that that income stream was there. And that really remains today as well. To make the farm pay more than it does at the moment, you would need to intensify it even further. And I think the intensification of it would probably be detrimental to the environment. You would be putting on more fertilizers, you would be up in your stocking rates. And I think it would be detrimental to the environment here. So therefore, to have that extra income stream coming from the um, agri-environment schemes is vital, really. You said a couple of times, you know, what, you, what you're trying to do, you don't want to obviously impact productivity. Is there a link between increasing biodiversity and maintaining or maybe even enhancing that productivity? And if so, what is that link? Yeah, I think I think so very much. Every farm's got its natural balance point of where its income is and where its stocking densities are. And until you farmed a farm and had your feet on that farm, you can't. You can, there's no way you can say my my carrying capacity would be completely different to a neighbour's carrying capacity here. Every farm's every farm's individual, and it's finding that sweet spot. As I say, you could ramp up production. If you ramped up production, it would be at the cost of the environment. Likewise, if you went over the top with your environmental schemes and planting, it would be at the detriment of the productivity, if you like, of, of the unit. I'm very, very strong minded that you should not be planting up with trees or creating bogs in good workable ground because it is the only ground we've got. It's not something you can just go and make and get. So it's important to look after that and look after the production as well. It, it makes perfect sense to me because I mean, what you're describing is, is very much a holistic approach. It's, it's, a, it's an in-the-round approach to your farm. You're trying to balance everything up. But very often when schemes come in, they are, they are focused on one particular thing. That's, that's the aim. That's the intention. And that can produce imbalance. The advice you've received over the years, was it always good advice? I would say that it was. We were very lucky that when we fell in here, the sort of agricultural advice part of the agents that let this farm, the guy that did it, was very, very good. He left the agents that managed the estate very shortly afterwards and went with a different company and we moved with him. And he has been absolutely excellent the whole way through. If you go to him and you say, right, what skin's available? And how can I achieve this, this and this? He'll come back and say, well, we can do that, that, but you'll need to do this as well. And we've we've worked through it well together, I think. So the advice that I've had from the agents that I've had has been very, very good. Jim, just summarise this for me. You've been in the farm 15 years. What would I see differently now that I wouldn't have seen back in 2006? What are the material changes? Okay, so... From my point of view, one of the one of the ways of really seeing what you've done is to look at it from the other side of the valley, if you like, or the other side of the glen. We're quite lucky. We can look from the top main road right down onto the farm and see. The farm is unrecognisable, due mainly to trees and hedges, I have to say. 
if you step your feet on the ground, it's very much changed to when we took the farm on, it was seasonally let. And quite a lot of it was in arable. There was oats, there was rape, there was all sorts of different crops going on. A lot of it was being really intensively silaged, a lot of the ground. It's now become very much a livestock grazing farm. Before, I would say it was probably ramped up to its maximum production. I think the farm's now greener. You would see a lot more clover around your feet. We've, we've halved our use of fertilizers. And as I say, one of the biggest things would be the hedges and the weed plantations of trees around and about the farm. And also riparian fencing, there's quite a lot of that gone in. We've probably put in three or four miles of riparian fencing as well. The farm looks different, that, that's for sure. I think it probably looks greener. I think the soil's healthier. When we first moved in, you could plough a field and you would walk for a half an hour to find an earthworm. Now the whole ground's just crawling with earthworms. I think, I think it is healthier, the farm itself. I think it's greener, certainly at this time of the year when it's not propped up with fertilisers. And there's a lot of sheep on it now, whereas before it was more mixed sheep and cattle. You said earlier that, you know, every farm is different, every farm is unique, and you can't be prescriptive in your approach to this. But if other farmers listening to this were thinking about going down a similar path to you, what would be your advice to them? I think that all farmers in certainly up, upland regions, and I, I think, now let's full stop that and say all farmers in Scotland are going to have to start thinking biodiversity and um, environment. I don't think there's any question of that. It's coming. I think we're all aware that it's coming. I would say to anyone, look really hard at what you've got. Look at the fields you've got and try and work out what wouldn't affect your productivity too much and what would enhance it. And you might actually find, if you haven't done bits before, that you actually start to quite enjoy it. There's quite a lot of reward from it. It can be quite rewarding when you see, if you like, the hedge full of birds or whatever. It's, it's just it is very rewarding. I don't think you have to be a bobbly hat nature lover to get, get the most out of it. I think it's something that we've all got to do. And I think we have to do that for public perception as well as for climate change. We have to look at it and we have to go back, be able to stand up to the extreme environmentalists that are very often on the television and say, well, actually, you're talking a load of rubbish. We're not ripping out hedges. We're putting in miles of hedges at the moment. Let's be clear about it. The damage isn't being done now. We're starting to really look after the landscape. Do you enjoy showing your farm off to the public? Yeah, I do. We've, we've had a few walks over the years here for um, everything from universities coming out and having a look at environmental work that's been carried on, the future sort of countryside management and land agent courses, all different types of people have come and had a walk on the farm. We also now do farm walks on a farm and it's open to like bus parties to come in and we give them a farm tour. We do sheep shearing demonstration, we work the sheep dogs. And then we go for a walk out and we have a look at how the work in production side of the farm integrates with the environmental side of the farm. It's selling the story, basically. And that's something that farming's very often not very good at. 
yeah, it's something we've all we've all got room to improve, and it it shouldn't be, you know, it's everyone. It's everyone should be willing to talk to the public and say, look, this is what we're doing. As I say, we have to counteract the negative press that's out there. If no one stands up, shows what we're doing, and speaks about it, how do we stand a chance? Jim, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I'd love to come out and have a look at your farm in person at some stage. That would be good. You'd be very welcome. I will look forward to it. Thank you very much for your time. I'm Mark Stephen. Thank you for downloading this, and I hope you found it useful. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.